Let me welcome you all here this afternoon um, to our number, how many presentation? Number seven, yes, this is our seventh presentation and um, uh, looking forward to this journey this afternoon as we continue in this series, Discover Hope, Finding Peace in Uncertain Times. And those, by the way, who are watching on DVD or who will be watching online, I'm glad that you could join us and may God bless you as you journey with us through His Word this afternoon. This afternoon's message, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? This question has been asked more than any other question uh, because it relates to human life. It relates to the way we live. It relates to our pain and suffering that we experience. Harold Kushner, a Jew, um, wrote this book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. You've heard the question asked, why do bad things happen to good people? You've heard that question asked? Well, he wrote a book stating the question as a statement, when bad things happen to good people. Now, why did Harold write this book that became a bestseller um, in the early 80s? The reason is he and his wife, were told by the doctors when their little boy Aaron was only three years old that he had progeria disease. Now, you may not know what progeria disease is. It's, it's also known as rapid aging. It's a very rare genetic deformity whereby the doctors shared with Harold and his wife that what they could expect was this, that their little boy as a little boy, would grow very old and very quickly. He would look like a little old man while still in his uh, junior years. And once he turned 13, somewhere along those lines, sadly, his life would come to an end. Everything the doctors said came true. Little Aaron grew up, and by the age of five or six, he looked like a little old man. And he died only a few days after his 14th birthday. Now, that's a very serious uh, case of injustice, a very serious case of sorrow and suffering that you and I, unless we've been in the shoes of Harold and his wife, cannot even begin to imagine. But today, you and I experience pain and suffering on many levels. Isn't that true? And so the question is today, if God is so love, as we have already discovered in our previous presentation, 1 John Chapter 4, verse 8. If God is so love, the question is, why is there so much suffering in the world? That is a question that I'm asked over and over and over and over again. There's a number of other questions that go along with this question that I have been asked and that we want to explore together this afternoon. And here they are. And this is just a selection. We can't we don't have the time to deal with every question, but we're going to just look at some of the big titanic questions on this subject. Where did evil come from? People are not sure. Why didn't God just put an end to evil whenever or wherever it first appeared? Surely God is mighty enough. The Bible teaches and Christians believe that the Bible teaches that God is all-powerful. Isn't that true? If God is all-powerful, why not just put an end to evil whenever or wherever it first appeared? Why does a good and loving God permit evil to continue? Another big question. Who is ultimately responsible for evil? We're going to explore that question. How can I face suffering and sorrow right now? 
How can I face my times of trials and, and tribulation right now? And finally, the question that we want to look at, will sadness, suffering and sorrow ever come to an end? Will there ever be an end to the sadness and the sin and the suffering and the sorrow? These are the big questions that people are asking today all around the world all the time. Whether it be a tragedy that strikes, a natural disaster, whether it be a death in the family, whether it be whatever, you fill in the blank, people are asking these questions. And sadly, most people do not have an answer for these questions. But this afternoon, by God's grace and through His Word together, we're going to discover the answer to these questions that will bring, that will bring great peace into your heart and into mine. So before we open up God's Word, as always, what do we need to do? We need to pray. So let's do that right now. Father in heaven, uh, we're about to open up your word and seek an answer to these all-important questions that we have posed. Father, we need to know the answer to this question. There is so much misunderstanding. There is so much confusion. But Father, we trust in you that through your word, you will give us a clear and concise answer that that brings relief to our hurting hearts. So, Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For the answer to this all-important question, we need to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the beginning when God created this world. Notice how the Bible begins. It begins with these words in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 4 reads, And God saw the light that was on the first day, that it was what? Good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Right there at the very beginning, when you open your Bible, you discover that when God created this world, everything was good. Not once, not twice, not three times, but six times the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. And then finally, at the end of the sixth day, this is what the Bible says. At the end of the six days of creation, it says in Genesis 1.31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was what? Very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Good, 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 good. And at the end of the sixth day, after God had created Eve, God said it was very good. And of course it was, because God created the woman last. Isn't that true? And all the men said, Amen. Well, that's what they should have said, that God left the best till last by creating the woman. And all the men said, Oh, finally. <laughs> I gave you an opportunity, men, to get a lot of brownie points, and you missed it. Well, you kind of half redeemed yourself, but anyway. And so God said everything was good. Well, obviously everything's not good today, is it? Things are not very good in the world right now. We all know that. We don't need to be reminded of that. At the very beginning of time, God created a perfect world. He created Adam and Eve to live in perfect harmony with himself uh, with the animal kingdom and with the environment. There was just perfection. Everything was very good, the Bible says. So, who is responsible for all that which is bad? That's what we want to look at this afternoon because the Bible is very clear that when God created the world, He created a good world. 
Well, the Bible tells us in the very next chapter after the creation account, in those first two chapters when everything was good, in chapter 3, verse 1, we have the entrance of the serpent. And the Bible tells us in Revelation, chapter 12, that the serpent is the devil, the devil himself. And he came into the garden, and sadly, Eve trusted in the word of the serpent rather than in the word of her creator God. And as we know, the rest is history. Adam and Eve had to leave their beautiful, perfect home there in the Garden of Eden. And they had to leave and live in a world filled with sin, sorrow and suffering. And did Adam and Eve experience suffering firsthand? You better believe it. It didn't take long for them to be there by the side of their son, Abel, who was murdered by his brother, Cain. Tragedy and heartache and pain and death was not far from the Garden of Eden. And so you and I have been experiencing this sorrow ever since. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, shared a parable where he illustrated who was responsible for the pain and the suffering. He shared a parable, you can go home and read it there, we don't have time to read it, but he, he shared a parable where a farmer went out to sow seed and he sowed a lot of good seed there on his farm. But while it was night, an enemy came along and the enemy sowed weeds. How would you like that, ladies? You've sowed all these beautiful seeds, you've created this beautiful potential garden and someone comes along at night and sows lots of seed, lots of weeds or tares. Well, Jesus gives us the definition of what is what, 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 what the parable means. And he goes on in Matthew 13, verses 37 and 30, uh, 39, he says, And he answered and said to them, He who sowed the what seed? The good seed is the Son of Man. And the enemy who sowed them, that is the weeds, is the who? The devil. Jesus took no responsibility for the origin of evil and pain and suffering. He placed all of that responsibility upon the one who sowed the weeds, the one who sowed the tares, and that is the devil. That is why his name is Evil with a capital D. Because he is evil. He is the one that has originated evil, the devil himself. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, and he's speaking here of the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have what? Life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus, once again, is very clear. He has come to give us life, and to give us not just any old life, he came to give the abundant life. And as you read through the Gospels, you discover time and time again where Jesus is sharing good news of hope, peace, where Jesus is providing healing, where, where Jesus is raising the dead, and we see over and over again where the enemy is trying to do the opposite. Today, insurance companies and often news broadcasters, when a, when a tragedy strikes, when a natural disaster strikes, insurance companies often, in order to get out of paying, on the pre, uh, pay, paying out, what, would they, what, what do they say? According to our fine print, it was an act of who? An act of God. All these natural disasters, these major titanic natural disasters, 
often they are seen as acts of God. And that's what the media also believes. It's another act of God. Whereas the Bible tells us that the devil himself has power to, 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 to bring mayhem, to bring catastrophe, as we've looked at in a previous presentation. Jesus came along to bring hope, to bring life, and to give life more abundantly. Now, where did the devil come from? Jesus, Jesus places uh, the responsibility of evil squarely on his shoulders. So the question is, where did he come from? If you ask most people on the street here in Carrion, where did the devil come from? Guess what they'll say? They'll say, well, he's always just been there. You know, there's always been good and there's always been what? Evil. Okay, you've heard of the yin and the yang, okay, good and evil. It's just always been there. That's what people believe. Well, let's find out what the Bible teaches. Where did the devil come from? Did God create him that way? Some people believe that God created the devil to be evil so that God would look really good. Do you like hanging out with people who are really bad? They make you look really good? Yeah, that's why my wife married me because I'm just so bad and she's so good. No. <laughs> Did God create him that way? Let's find out what the Bible teaches. In Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12, we have some insights. We, we, go, we go behind the scenes. God pulls back the curtain and he gives, us, he gives us these incredible insights that we would not have otherwise as to the origins of this being that today we refer to as Satan or the devil. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of what? Perfection, full of wisdom and what? Perfect in beauty. Okay, let's find out. Who is, who is God here speaking of? We keep reading. You were where? In Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. Okay, so this is speaking of a perfect being. It's mentioned twice already. That is there in the very presence of God in the garden of Eden. In this perfect environment where Adam and Eve lived. You were the anointed cherub who covers we're going to get to that in just a moment. I established you, says God. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. This here is describing a being that is in the very presence of God, referred to here in Ezekiel 28 as a covering cherub. Now, the Bible talks about covering cherubs. There are two covering cherubs, according to Scripture, that are right there at the very throne of God. How do we know that? Because in the Old Testament, when God told Moses to build a sanctuary, he told Moses to place an item of furniture by the name of the Ark of the Tabernacle. How many of you have seen this? The Ark of the Tabernacle. It was made famous by Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, was it called? Many years ago, it was made famous by that movie. There in the most holy place, we have the Ark of the Covenant that has the Ten Commandments within it, as well as Aaron's rod that budded, as well as a pot of manna. And here on this Ark of the Covenant that represents the very throne room of God, we have these two angels, okay, on either side of God's throne, and they are referred to in Scripture as cherubim. They, are, they have the highest position. Of all the angels, they have the highest and, and, and the most prestigious position in heaven. Why? Because they are right there at the very throne room of God. They are right there before the, 
the throne of God, right there in the midst of God, as the scriptures say. Let's keep reading. Ezekiel 28, verse 15. You were perfect. There we go. For the third time, the Bible speaks of this being. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until what? Iniquity was found in you. Now, what's another word for iniquity? Sin. Okay. So this being was perfect that God created there right by his throne until sin was found in him, iniquity. Now, the question we need to ask is, what was the iniquity or the sin of this covering cherub, this, this most privileged of all the angels, God's leading and most exalted angel? What was his sin? What was this iniquity? Well, we don't need to guess. As we keep reading, in verse 17, we read these words. Your what? Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Wow! We have some incredible insight here. You see, God created this covering cherub to be more beautiful than all the other angels. It appears from what we read here in Scripture. This being was absolutely beautiful, absolutely wise, just incredible beauty, incredible wisdom. And the Bible says this being's heart was lifted up. That sounds a lot like pride to me. Does that sound like pride to you? Do we have a problem with pride today? Yes. The smarter you are, the, the more, more good-looking you are, and I don't have a problem with either, the more tempted you are to be proud. Isn't that true? How corrupt was the heart of God's leading covering cherub? What was his aim and ambition? What kind of pride filled his heart? Well, once again, we don't have to guess because the Bible gives us the answer. This time we go to the book of Isaiah where Isaiah pulls back the curtain and gives us some more insights as to what took place there at the very throne room of heaven. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, and we read these words. How you are fallen from heaven, O what? Lucifer, son of the morning. So the devil's original name, as we'll discover, was not the devil, it was not Satan, but it was Lucifer. Lucifer means, as we have here, son of the morning. It also means light bearer. Why? That is because this angel, Lucifer, was in the very presence of God. And Jesus said, you'll remember, I am the what of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He who comes to me will not walk in darkness. So he was there in the very presence, in the very light of God. He was the light bearer. His responsibility was to share the love of God, to share the goodness of God, to be the best possible ambassador that the universe had of who God is and what his character was like, and to share that, to, to have that light shine throughout the universe to the other angels and the rest of the universe. That was his role, a privileged role indeed. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Let's keep reading. For you have said in your what? Heart. Remember? It was the heart. The heart was the problem. And that really is where the problem is always. The problem is always with the heart. The problem isn't with what happens on the outside, but what happens on the inside. What's on the inside is ultimately demonstrated on the outside. The problem was with his heart. Let's keep reading. Notice what he said in his heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And as the apex, I will be like who? The Most High. Notice the word I appears over and over and over again. How many times? Five times the word I appears. I will do this. I will do that. I will be ultimately like the Most High. Now, in order for this covering cherub, Lucifer, to be God, he would have to throw God off the throne. You can't have two gods run in the universe. That just doesn't work. Okay, that just doesn't work. That's just like having two prime ministers running Australia. It's bad enough with one prime minister running Australia. It's like having two kings. It's like having two queens. It's like having two wives, two husbands. It doesn't work. He wanted to be like God. Are we certain of that? Absolutely. You go and read the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. The third and final temptation that the devil tempted Jesus with was, if you bow down to me and worship me, I'm going to give you this whole world and everything it contains. And what did Jesus say? Away with you, Satan. Get behind me. You shall worship who? The Lord your God and him only you shall serve. But the scary thing is that in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that Satan will ultimately receive what he has always been after, worship. The majority of this world's population, including professed Christians, listen to me clearly, including professed Christians will fall down and worship him rather than Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, what? Professed Christians? Absolutely. That's why you need to keep coming to find out what the Bible says on true worship. Because that is the bottom line at the end of the day. The issue at the end of time will be over true and false worship. What will the issue be at the end of time? True and false worship. That was the issue at the beginning. That will be the issue at the end. And you need to know the truth. Otherwise, Jesus said, if you don't know what the Bible teaches, you stand a great chance of following the false Christ. Do you remember that? From Matthew chapter 24 that we looked at the other day? So let's not live in la-la land thinking that, oh, I'm going to be hunky-dory. It's not going to be hunky-dory. Unless we know what the Bible says, we are in big trouble. We are in serious trouble. So that's why I praise God that you're here, and I pray that you'll keep coming and exploring what the Bible says. He wanted to be like the Most High. Sin. What letter does sin have at the very heart? I, pride. What's the middle letter of pride? I, what about Lucifer? I, have you got an iPhone or an iPod, (laughs) iPad? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. And by the way, by the way, what's the symbol of apple? An apple with what? A chunk taken out of it. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. This is not a conspiracy theory show, but it is interesting, isn't it? You just need that apple. You need to take a bite. Anyway, we'll press on. Revelation describes a war in heaven. What was the first war over? The Bible describes in Revelation this first war that took place. Now, what was it over? Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. Once again, God pulls back the curtain and here we have some incredible insights as to what took place there before Adam and Eve were created and before this world was created. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 7, and war broke out in where? 
heaven. Michael and his angel. And Michael, the name Michael means one who is like God. One who is like God. So this is not speaking of an angel. There are many Christians today that believe that this Michael the archangel is speaking of an angel, but it's not speaking of an angel because the name itself is one who is like God and no angel is like God. Amen? No angel is like God. God alone is God and that's the end of the story. So this is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the one, Jesus Christ. And uh, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon in Revelation 12, 9 is the serpent, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So it's speaking of Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought. Okay, so there is this battle. It's like Star Wars. Are you familiar with Star Wars? Absolutely. That, that epic, uh, what, trilogy? I guess there's more of them now. I don't know how many episodes they've got. But um, the true Star Wars happened in heaven. In heaven. Now, I looked up that word war. I wanted to find out what kind of war took place between Christ and his angels and the devil and his angels. Was it a a war with missiles? Was it a war with um, artillery that we have here? Or was it a different kind of war? I was interested. So I looked up that word war, and in the original language that the New Testament is written, the language, the Greek language, um, the word is polemos. What's that word? Polemos. In English, we get the word polemic. It's not a word you use every day. So let me unpack it for you. According to the Pocket Macquarie Dictionary, the word polemic means an argument or disputation about some opinion, belief, or doctrine, or teaching. So what kind of war took place in heaven? It was a war of words. A war of what? A war of words, a war of ideas, a war of ideals. Basically, what took place was the devil, well, he was Lucifer at the time. He wasn't the devil just yet. Lucifer had a plan whereby he could run the universe in a better way than God. And the Bible says in Revelation 12 that he convinced one-third of the angels that they could put their trust in him more so than they could put their trust in God. That he would be in their best interests. A bit like what happens today in politics, isn't that right? You know, the, the prime minister says, if you vote for me, you're going to be better off. The opposition leader says, no, don't vote for him. You're going to be worse off if you vote for me and my party. You're going to be what? Better off. And so who do you believe? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. In heaven, we had the first political ballot. And the angels, they had to make a choice. Would they go, would they stay with God? where he offered them freedom and love and joy and peace and harmony? Or would they go with the one who promised that they could be free and they didn't need any laws, they didn't need any principles in how to live happy and successful lives? Who would they go with? And sadly, one third of the angels, Revelation 12 tells us, chose to go with Lucifer. Sadly, Adam and Eve chose to also vote for Lucifer also. Well, the question is, why not destroy evil before it had a chance to spread? Could God have wiped out Lucifer right there at the very beginning? Absolutely. God could have squashed him like you and I squash a mosquito. I hate mosquitoes. I'm sorry if you love mosquitoes and I've just offended you. I'm really, really sorry, but I hate mosquitoes. Well, I can handle most things, but I can't handle a mosquito buzzing in the middle of the night in my bedroom. 
How many of you can't handle that either? And so there's no going to sleep for me or for my wife or for anyone until that mosquito is put out of its misery and everything is peaceful and quiet. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long it takes me to find the mosquito. And sometimes they're hard to find, aren't they? They're really good at hiding sometimes. But I don't stop. I don't give up. Now, could God have squashed Lucifer like you and I squash a mosquito? Absolutely. Absolutely. Then why didn't he? Why didn't God just put an end to him right at the very beginning when pride first came into his heart before he had had a chance to infect the rest of the angels, before he had a chance to infect Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden? Why didn't God even leave? Allow, uh, allow the serpent to come into the Garden of Eden? That's another good question which we're going to explore a little later on. Well, let me answer that question by giving you a possible scenario. Now, this hasn't happened yet, but it may. Let's go to Canberra. All right, you want to go to Canberra? Let's go to Canberra. Seeing we're talking about politicians this afternoon. <laughs> imagine with me. Now, you've got to imagine. I had someone say to me after I shared this illustration on one occasion, did that really happen? When did that happen? I missed it. Okay, it didn't happen. It's an imaginary story. Imagine with me that the biggest scandal that has ever rocked Canberra takes place. And at the heart of this big scandal is our one and only Prime Minister. The opposition leader, the opposition leader, he has a press conference and he says, I have evidence to indict the Prime Minister that if found guilty by an Australian court of law, he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Tomorrow, at the same time, same place, I will reveal all. End of, end of the, the interview, end of the whatever you call it. He walks away, he walks away, and I mean, imagine, imagine now. That's all that will be on the news, isn't that right? Absolutely. Everyone's wondering what on earth does the opposition leader have on the Prime Minister? And everyone's waiting with bated breath. 24 hours from now, we're going to know. We're going to know what this is, this, this incredible criminal activity that the Prime Minister has been involved in. You go to bed and you're wondering, did anything happen? No, nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. There's been, there's been no other reports from the opposition leader. You wake up in the morning. The first thing you do is what? Turn on the radio to find out, has anything happened overnight? And sure enough, something has happened overnight you discover that the opposition leader traveling home from Canberra that evening happened to come across a semi-trailer going the other way and involved in a head-on collision, lost his life. Now, what are you going to be thinking? What are you going to be thinking as a thinking Australian? Are you going to be thinking along with the rest of the world, I wonder, I wonder if he had something to share. I guess we'll never know now. I guess we will never, ever know. Would there be doubts in your mind? Absolutely. You think about it for a moment. If God were to eliminate Lucifer at the very beginning, the rest of the angels that adored him, that looked up to him, he was their leading angel. They would be asking questions. What happened? And God's like, that's for me to know and for you not to find out. 
You have to trust me on this one. I did what was in the best interest of the universe. I did what was in the best interest of you and the rest of the created beings. You have to trust me. You won't understand if I explain it to you, what was really going on in his heart. You've just got to trust me on that. What do you think would have taken place? There would have been absolute questioning. Absolute questioning. There would have been fear. I mean, if you fall out of line, what happened to Lucifer may happen to you as well. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God does not want anyone to serve him out of fear. The Bible says God is love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And there is no fear in God's love. God did not want his created beings to serve him out of fear, but to serve him out of love. And you can only love someone who you trust. Amen? Can you love someone who you don't trust? You can't. You just can't do that. Love is the very foundation of God's government. The very foundation of God's government. At the very heart of the principle of love is freedom of choice. There are people that say, well, why did God create Lucifer with the ability to choose? That's because God created him to show love, to feel love, to experience love. And love is the very foundation of God's government. In order to have love, you must have freedom to choose. That took place 23 years ago. Yes, yes, you can see who it is. I know I have seriously aged. <laughs> Having teenagers, well, it's really aged me. <laughs> 23 years later. That was January 1, 1995. Now you're thinking, why do you get married on January 1? You see, I've got a bad memory. Bad memory, so I figured if I get married on January 1, I'm highly unlikely to forget my anniversary. <laughs> you laugh, you laugh, it's true. I've got a bad memory. You may think that's, that's not possible, but I do. I forgot my wife's birthday once. Once. I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson, Mary. You only need to forget your wife's birthday once to never forget it again. I'm telling you, it's the truth. I've never, ever forgotten my wife's birthday again. I happened to forget it that one day because I was busy water skiing and there was just so much fun and I just forgot that it was a birthday. I was looking forward to water skiing that day and um, by the end of the day, she was so grumpy with me and I'm like, what's your problem? I mean, we'd only been married a couple of years. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, she should still be pretty, she should still be happy with me, kind of, hopefully. Um, and, um, and, um, and she goes, yeah, well, I'm glad you had a nice day water skiing. And I'm like, yeah, it was fantastic. And I'm like, well, you're jealous, you know, you're upset that you didn't go water skiing. And she says, well, I'm glad someone had a nice day today. <gasps> Then the penny dropped. And I'm like, happy birthday, sweetie. But it was too late. It was too late. I'm telling you, it was too late. What made that day so special? What made that day so special is that I did not have to ask my two younger sisters to put a gun to my, to my wife's head and to say... And, for, and, and to say to them, you better tell her when the preacher says, do you take this man to be your husband? You better say, I do. I didn't have to ask my sisters to do that. My wife did that willingly because she wanted to, because she loved me. She's wondering about that now, but that was the case back then, 23 years ago. I've told her it's too late. It's too late now. <laughs> We've signed the paperwork. 
For love to be love, it must give you the right to say yes as well as the right to say no. That is the very heart of the principle of love. Freedom to choose. The reason why we got into this mess in the very beginning is because God created all of his beings, his angels, Lucifer, Adam and Eve, with the freedom to choose. People ask, why did God allow the serpent into the perfect garden of Eden? It was for this simple reason. The only way Adam and Eve could truly show their love to God was if they had an opportunity not to love God. Amen? That's the only way. Otherwise, they would have had no choice but to be obedient, but to love God. And the beauty of love is, is that it is based on the freedom to choose. You see, I can put a gun to your head and say, give me your handbag. And you'll give me your handbag. I can put a gun to your head and say, give me your car. And you'd give me your car. But I can't put a gun to your head and say, love me and you love me. You can't. Love cannot be forced. Love is only love when it is freely given. Are we together on that? That is why God created his beings with freedom to choose. Because God created his beings to experience love and to be able to show love. Imagine with me, imagine with me, just to illustrate this point further, imagine with me you receive the joy of having your first child. Okay, And we know what life is like today with kids, don't we? Those of us that have kids or have had kids, well, those of you that have had kids a long time ago, you probably don't know what it's like, but I'm telling you, it's getting more and more challenging to raise kids today, isn't that true? Absolutely, it's getting more and more challenging. It's just the way the society is. It's the way the world is. Now, imagine the doctor said to you, uh, we, have, we have come a long way, come a long way, and today we are able to provide you with the perfect child. How many of you would love to have a perfect child that obeyed you all the time? Oh, absolutely, I'll put my hand up. I would love to have a child that obeyed me all the time, that never did anything to upset me. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Am I the only one? <laughs> okay. Maybe some of you love to have kids that are very naughty and misbehave. I don't know. But me, I'd love to have a perfect child. But the only problem is, the doctor would say, the only problem is we have to, we have to take the little child's brain out and we'll put a chip in there and we've got to take its heart out and put another chip in there, put another mechanical device in there. So your child will be programmed to always do what you want it to do. Always, forever. Never, ever misbehave. When you press this button, the child will wash the dishes. When you press that button, the child will make the bed. Never, ever answer back to you. Just be a perfect child. But you're going to have a robot. We're very sorry. You're going to have to have a robot. How many of you would want a robot as a child? No, I wouldn't want a robot as a child. And that is because children are precious because they show us love from their hearts, from their minds. They express it freely and we just so love that expression, that, that wonderful expression of love that they just so beautifully share and pour out upon us. Yes, it brings us a lot of tears, doesn't it? A lot of tears, but it brings us a lot of joy as well. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock in Revelation 3, verse 20. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is about offering us the freedom to choose him or not to choose him. He doesn't force anyone. I love this statement uh, by these two authors 
who uh, wrote these words in their book when skeptics ask a handbook on Christian evidences. And they wrote these words, God would rather wrestle with our rebellious wills than to reign supreme over rocks and trees. I thought that was just so powerful. So powerful. God would rather wrestle with our rebellion than reign supreme over rocks and trees. And just in case you were wondering, would God have forgiven Lucifer when pride first entered his heart? Absolutely. How do I know that? What does the Bible say? For God is not willing that what? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is Lucifer part of the any? Absolutely. He was a created being. He was the most glorious created being that God had created. He would have forgiven him, but sadly pride came into his heart. Do you know why people are going to be lost at the end of time? Not because God doesn't want to save them, but because of their pride in not willing to receive the gift of eternal life. Their unwillingness to repent and be saved by Jesus Christ, who alone can offer us salvation. Well, where is God when I'm, hurt, when I'm hurting right now? I know that as I've been sharing this message, there, there probably has been a lot of pain that has been sur surfacing in, in many of your hearts. When we, when we talk about pain and suffering, it's very real, it's very raw, and it's, and it's close to home. I just had someone earlier on, I won't mention who it was, and they were sharing with me that even the pain now of, of, of losing their little brother in, in infancy, and there's so much pain and so much suffering. So the question is, where is God where I'm hurting right now? I'm in pain right now, Danny. Where is God now? Notice what the Bible says. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you, how often? Always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. Jesus says, I'll be with you always. I love this scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can't put our faith and trust in human beings, but we can put our faith and trust in Jesus. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Regardless of everyone else who has turned their back on you, you know, kicked you like a, like a can, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The book of Revelation does not end with us on earth, God in heaven and evil continuing indefinitely. That was our question. Will, will there ever be an end to sin and suffering and sorrow? Here is the answer. From the last book of the Bible, in, those, in, in, in the third last chapter of the Bible, we read these words in Revelation 20 verses 9 and 10. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. That is, the devil and his angels and all those that have chosen to be on his side, all those that have voted for him will sadly be lost. Not because God wants them to be lost, but because that's what they have chosen. God will make a brand new world. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21 verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear. Notice, every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now you may be thinking, what if? Danny, what if somewhere down the track, a million, a trillion, a quadrillion years from when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, if someone once again, like Lucifer of old, has that pride fill his or her heart, and rebellion breaks out. What if? That's a good question, isn't it? What if? Notice what the Bible says. Affliction or sin in Nahum chapter 1 verse 9 will not rise up a second time. 
We will not have a repeat of the suffering and the sorrow that we are experiencing on planet Earth right now, that we have experienced for the past 6,000 years. There will not be a repeat. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in the book of Zechariah, you go home and read it. In the book of Zechariah, it tells us that Jesus will forever bear the scars of sin on his body as a continual reminder of the consequences of sin. This universe will be perfect in every single way. Everything in the universe will be perfect except for one thing, and that is Jesus will forever have those imperfect scars on his forehead, in his hands, on his feet, in his side. He will always have that. You can read about it in Zechariah where, where the question is asked, where did you receive your scars? And the response is, I received it in the, in the house of my friends. In the house of my friends. We will be forever reminded of the consequences of sin. Is God's way the best way? Jesus will simply raise his hands and say, it is because of this. It is because of this that you are here and my way is the best way. Trust me. And you will, and I will not want to go through that again. We will not want to go through that again. So sin will not rise up a second time. I want to finish off by taking you to uh, where it all began for me um, in Macedonia. Uh, I want to take you to the village of my grandfather, my grandparents my, my, from my father's side there in Macedonia, there in Eastern Europe, used to be part of the former Yugoslavia. Um, this is his village. It's called Lucky. And there's actually nothing lucky about the village of Lucky. Uh, there in Macedonia, near the border of Bulgaria, had the opportunity um, as, a, as a young child to go a couple of times, and then um, I had the opportunity to go again when I was in my early 20s. There I am with my dad's dad and my dad's mother, um, and I'm in front of their home that was built in 1950. This is um, just a, a landscape view of where their, valley, their village is right there, as you can see, beautifully surrounded by beautiful mountains, just a beautiful place. There's their village um, tucked into that valley there in those beautiful surrounds. Yeah, as you can see, the homes need a little bit of repair work. <laughs> in fact, sadly, the majority of the homes have been deserted. All the young people have left the village and have gone into the cities where there's more work and education and so forth, and the houses uh, they're basically falling apart. While I was there, while I was there, we had a birthday for my grandfather. We celebrated his 80th birthday. Well, actually, we don't know when his birthday is. Because you see, my grandfather was an orphan, and he doesn't know the day or the month that he was born. He just knows the year. So I said, Granddad, have we ever had a birthday for you? Never. Never had a birthday ever. Just never had a birthday. So I got my auntie to make... Um, a banana cake, and, um, and we put a couple of candles there to celebrate his 80th. Does he look happy? Oh, he's the happiest <laughs> birthday boy that you'll ever see. So um, there's my grandma. She's pretty happy. Her teeth are about to fall out, I think, in that photo. Um, here's my grandfather. I loved hanging out with my grandfather. He's just a beautiful man, um, looking after his goats. That's what he would spend most of his day He'd take his goats, and look at him, mate, at the age of 80, he'd be able to climb up there where the goats were climbing up. He, you'd, he'd probably give you a bit of a run for your money, um, Helen. <laughs> and there he is, and uh, yeah, just, just, just uh, a beautiful experience with Grandpa. 
Um, that was back in 93, 94. I had an opportunity to go back 15 years later in 2008. So I went there and I happened to run a meeting, as you can see. Um, I was running some meetings there in the, in the nearby city um, to my uh, grandfather's village. And while I was there, I went to visit the home of where my grandfather was. And here is his home. As you can see, it's fallen apart. The chickens live there now and they have a great time. Um, by the way, free rent. If anyone is looking for a place where they don't have to pay any rent, no mortgage, you can go there. Half the homes are, are empty. You can go and live there for free. It's fantastic. If you don't mind a bit of air conditioning going through. Um, I remembered what took place um, as, as I was there by my grandfather's grave. I went to visit his grave. I remembered the final conversation I had with my grandfather. I was there at the bus stop, and it was um, in 1993, 15 years prior. And I was there with my grandfather, and he was all hunched over, and um, we were about to say goodbye to one another. And I just had this feeling that this would be the last time I would see my grandfather on this earth. That this would be the last time I'd talk to my grandfather. Why is that? Well, my grandfather didn't have a telephone in his village. There was no telephone, no mobile phone, no nothing. And so I was impressed to say to him, Granddad, this may be the last time we see each other here on this earth, but I want to make you a promise. By God's grace, when Jesus comes, I want to see you again. I want to spend more time with you because it hasn't been long enough. And I said, Granddad, I want you to make me that same promise. And Granddad's like bawling his eyes, you know, as granddads do. He's just bawling his eyes. He's hugging me. He's kissing me. And he says, yes, my son, when Jesus comes, I will see you again. I remembered that conversation with my grandfather when I was there at his graveside in 2008. And I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus will come. I'm looking forward to the day when I will see granddad again, grandma, and all those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus comes and he raises all those that have put their faith and trust in him. When Jesus places the precious children that have been snatched away from their parents all too soon back in their mother's arms through the angels. When the angels do this beautiful, give this beautiful gift back to the parents, what a beautiful day it's going to be. When we make our way with Jesus at the center, as we make our way to heaven, the Bible says, and enter through those pearly gates into the new Jerusalem, Jesus will be there to welcome us, to welcome us, and it will be the end of suffering, pain, and sorrow for all of God's people. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. That's why I do what I do. I look forward to the coming of Jesus because indeed He is coming. He is coming. How soon? I don't know, but I believe He is coming very, very soon. And my prayer is that you too will join me and join all the others that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Let's pray together, eh? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much that you have promised that you will indeed bring an end to all the suffering and the sorrow in this world that we're experiencing and, and every other person on this planet has to go through. Oh, Father, we're looking forward to the day when Jesus will come and, and when he will usher in a brand new world where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, and ultimately the greatest enemy of mankind, death, will forever be snuffed out. We thank you for that day. We long for that day. 
And we pray that you will help us prepare to be ready for that day. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen and Amen. And God bless you, my friends.